Welcome back to another edition of the Podcast Therapist. I'm your host, the Shan Man, radio broadcaster, podcaster, and podcast producer. And today we got a very fun and informative uh, podcast interview. Uh, we're going to be speaking with Seth Ressler of Jacobs Media. Seth is one of my friends in the radio industry, and uh, he is someone who uh, tries to bridge the gap between radio broadcasting and podcasting or digital media with uh, radio broadcasters. And I thought that it would be it would be very important actually to have Seth on this episode just because uh, if Seth is helping broadcasters bridge that gap with digital media and, and digital assets such as you know social media and whatnot, I figured that it would be good to see the other side of the coin and see how broadcasters can help podcasters. So this interview is very very informative. It's filled with a lot of information and we have a little bit of fun. Uh, in the episode near the end, and I do a kind of a, a, a lightning round with with Seth. So uh, today we are going to be talking about so many things. I mean, it's just jam packed uh, with so much. We're going to talk about revenue conversion for your podcast, and I know there's a lot of you out there that are looking to monetize your podcast, and I get it. I get that that's a that's a concern. I wouldn't even say it's a concern, but that is an interest for a lot of you out there. So we'll be talking about revenue conversion. Uh, and what the challenges are for not only broadcasters, but podcasters and how your numbers work, what the metrics look like. And we're going to talk about uh, a lot more, uh, you know, what, you know, our local podcasts worth it, um, how you can find your own aesthetic feel for your own podcast. Like I said, this is going to be a very jam packed episode, uh, all in one hour's time. So uh, I recommend that you, uh, take some notes as usual. Like I always tell people within the podcast, when you do listen to these podcasts, make sure you listen listen again and of course sit down and take notes and learn something a little bit brand new for yourself when you listen to my podcast so we're going to get to seth here very shortly after these words do stick around the podcast therapist Right now, you might be in the middle of the research phase of launching your podcast. Maybe you've gotten some equipment, signed up for a Zoom account, and have recorded a few podcast episodes. But what steps do you need to take when it comes to a successful podcast launch? Would you believe the biggest mistake podcasters make is the launch sequence? Seriously, just like a space shuttle has a sequence to put astronauts into space, podcasts have sequences to put a podcast in the marketplace successfully. That's why I created the Podcast Launch Checklist. After helping numerous clients build their podcasts, I developed a step-by-step -step guide to help podcast creators just like you have a clean launch sequence without wasting time. The Podcast Launch Checklist is a 12-step sequence that walks you through the pre-launch, mid-launch, and post-launch process with specific steps and instructions that will save you time. If you're tired of walking around in the dark trying to figure out everything that comes with the Podcast Launch, you can grab the Podcast Launch Checklist today. Visit thepodcasttherapist.com slash PLC and use the code PODTHERAPIST, all one word, to get 25% off this checklist today. Next day. Next day. It's time for the mixdown. The podcast therapist. So today we are talking with Seth Ressler. He considers him, or I don't know if you gave yourself that name, but the digital dot connector at Jacobs Media. How you doing today, my friend? 
Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that was a, uh, a title that they gave me when I first uh, started the Jacobs Media five years ago. There's been the occasional second thought about that. But uh, the idea being that, you know, when I started radio and when you started radio, all you needed to know how to do was work the CD players and the, maybe the cart machine or, or the audio vault or whatever it was. Uh, and nowadays, you have to know so many different tools. You have to know TikTok and podcasts and Google Analytics right. and blogs and all this stuff. And, and so my role was to take all these different digital dots, if you will, mm-hmm. and show you how they all connect together and, and form a coherent plan. Sure. Now, uh, just to give some context to uh, you being with Jacobs Media. Now, Jacobs Media, you are the consulting firm. You work with the consulting firm that goes around the nation and consults with radio stations across the nation, correct? Yeah, so Jacobs Media started, gosh, I don't know, four decades ago, uh, really with classic rock. I think Fred was the first guy to come along and say, hey, you know what? Uh, Why don't we have a rock station that doesn't play new music? Maybe the people who like Led Zeppelin don't like Van Halen or whatever it was. Uh, And started helping launch classic rock stations all over the country. Uh, Then started to do the same with alternative rock, really package that up. If you've ever seen an edge station uh, anywhere throughout the country, that was uh, Jacobs Media's thing was the edge stations. I was a Jacobs Media client uh, at a number of different places over the years. And you're you're out there in Detroit. Were you in Detroit when they were, you know, now a consultant? No. Uh, well, I am now, but I, I, I wasn't here. I came here to start oh, working okay. with Jacobs Media about five years ago. But uh, the company really started getting into the digital space, launched this tech survey that uh, is the, the industry's largest online survey of radio listeners to figure out how they're using new technology. And so uh, started this uh, 16 years ago now, watched the rise of social media, watched everybody ditch their landlines and, and get cell phones, which obviously had big implications for how radio does its ratings. Uh, you know, now we're focused on things like podcasts and smart speakers like Alexa and the connected car and all that. And so these are really topics that are broader than just rock radio. Uh, and, and so we have branched out into other areas, working with public radio stations, Christian radio stations, things like that, uh, in addition to the rock radio consulting. That's great. Now, when you now that we are talking about Jacobs Media jumping into this digital space, and I know, you know, both of us have been in radio for probably the equal amount of time. I think I, I've been in radio for 21 years. And I know that when the proliferation of smartphones started to overtake everything, that radio jocks were kind of lost at that point. They they like I remember I resisted smartphones for the longest time. And I was like, ah, smartphones, who gives a shit about smartphones, you know? And then Apple came out with the iPhone. And that was that was the one thing that changed the game. I remember I had a Google G1 phone and I was like, oh, this thing's kind of cool. It's fun to play with. But little did I know that as a radio broadcaster, that that was going to change the game of how I presented my content on the radio. So I decided that I needed to start jumping into this digital space, whether it be podcasting, YouTube, blogging and whatnot. And this is where Jacobs Media, like you said, took this, this, they they recognized that trend. And so as you went through, as they went throughout the years, they started adjusting and adapting to the trend. Now, when they brought you in, what was the purpose of having you as the digital dot connector, as, as they say, but really... What was your role for radio broadcasters? Yeah. So let me start by talking a little bit about smartphones because I think that's 
that's really important what you bring up. I mean, what we've seen with the smartphone is just all these other devices have been sucked in and now your phone plays the role that those other devices used to play. You don't have an alarm clock anymore sitting on your <laughs> nightstand. It's now your phone that you use to wake yourself up. And I think in radio, what we did everywhere was we tried to use all these channels to steer people back to the radio. Oh, let's use Facebook to keep people to tune into the radio or get Twitter or, or whatever. Uh, and so we resisted the idea of the radio being sucked into the smartphone. And in some ways it's been, you know, uh, uh, slower to do that than the other things that have uh, gotten sucked in there. But inevitably, people are streaming and listening to the radio on their smartphones. Uh, Jacobs Media actually started a sister company called Jake Apps because they recognized that radio stations were going to need mobile apps so that people could access those radio stations on those apps. Uh, and and so that's what Jake Apps does. Uh, now it builds mobile apps for other companies outside the radio industry, but it really started focused on the radio industry. Uh, I came in because, you know, again, there's all these different digital tools. And I think the question became, you know, why do they really matter? What's the bottom line? Great, I'm getting uh, a Facebook post with a thousand likes. How does that affect my revenue? Right. <laughs> Where does that fit? And I think the key here is that, you know, again, if you look back 20 years ago, the only thing we could measure as radio stations were the ratings and the revenue. Those were our only two data points. Now we have a million data points. We've got everything from podcast downloads to website visits to uh, you know, retweets, you name it. And there is a temptation to think that just because you can measure it, it is important. And not all of those different data points are equally important. Some of those things are more important than others. And I think a big part of it is figuring out which of these numbers really matter and then how do we move them? I would argue that the single most important number is still revenue. How much yeah. money is actually coming in? And then it becomes a question of, okay, what's that second tier of numbers that feed into revenue? Right. Uh, you know, if, if I have, uh, you know, X number of website visits or X number of email subscribers, I know how to turn that into money for my radio station. So those numbers really matter. I don't necessarily know how to turn a retweet into money for the radio station. So that might be a third or fourth tier number that, you know, more is better, right. but it's not quite as important as some of these other numbers. Now, when we look at those metrics and we talk about, you know, retweets, Facebook posts, all those things, I want to now move into this area of podcasting where, uh, you know, a lot of podcasters, they, they're looking for I don't know if it's a magic bullet. Here we are in 2020, and I think podcasters, I think, are still looking for this magic bullet of saying, well, I can get a podcast that's as big as a radio station, as big as Joe Rogan, and I can do that my entire life and make money and live the rest of my life doing that completely, which isn't necessarily true because we're looking at different metrics even radio stations are looking at different metrics because like you said, revenue is the most important thing that we're looking at here. So what would you say to someone now who gets an idea that radio is focused on multiple metrics? What would you say to someone who is just in the podcasting game? How can radio broadcasting uh, give solid lessons to a podcaster just starting out or maybe has a podcast and is still trying to figure this game out? based on metrics or based on revenue? Yeah. So, you know, I think it starts with knowing what those metrics are. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what what are we measuring and, and what are we doing with revenue? I mean, look, I'm, I'm aware of uh, 
you know, radio broadcasters or even people outside of the radio broadcasting industry who can generate a lot of downloads and yet not really turn that into revenue or not turn that into enough revenue to offset their costs. You know, when you start talking about uh, the type of podcast that takes a team of 10 people a year to make 10 episodes and they're great, they're award-winning episodes and they might get millions of downloads, but then there's that question of can they get the sponsorship dollars to actually pay for that or make enough of a profit to to justify that. Uh, whereas you take something like a, a Mark Maron where the production pod, you know, the production costs are just lower, right? right. It just doesn't take a team of, of 10 people uh, to put together, you know, Mark Maron's podcast or, or Conan O'Brien's or Joe Rogan's podcast. And so it, it works, the numbers work better, mm -hmm. uh, if that makes sense. So I think first things first is understand how the numbers work and, and understand that, again, revenue is that most Im important number uh, and, and figuring out how, how you get there. Sure. Now, getting there, I think that that is the challenge. That's the question that gets asked on my YouTube channel all the time in the comments. They, they want to know, you know, I have so many downloads per month. Yep. When can I start asking for a sponsorship? And there are... There isn't a one answer. There, there isn't just one cover answer for this. There are multiple answers for this. So what would you say to a podcaster starting out very first time or maybe has been doing it for five months, but just not seeing results? What metric or what number do you think would be appropriate if there is a metric that even matters to get a sponsorship? Different people will say different things. You know, Rob Walsh, who's the VP of Podcaster Relations over at Libsyn, will tell you that. Uh, you really start to see advertisers interested when you start to see 5,000 downloads per episode. Uh, and usually when we say the number of downloads per episode, we're talking within 30 days of release. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, it's not over five years. It's over the that first month that the episode is out. Uh, you know, I've heard other places like Midroll say, look, it's really 50,000 before uh, we start getting advertiser interest. Um, this assumes that you're going out and, and selling to your traditional advertisers, your Blue Apron or your Stamps.com or something like that. Uh, I think if you have a real niche podcast, you may be able to uh, go out and find an advertiser or a sponsor, even if you've got smaller numbers. You know, if I have a knitting podcast, I'm probably ideally suited for Yarn Barn to come along and sponsor sure. this because yeah. everybody who listens to my podcast is potentially going to go shop at Yarn Barn. So even if I don't have a half a million downloads, it still makes sense for them to come along and sponsor. Right. I think the other thing to look at is there are many different ways to monetize podcasts. And so don't think it's all about advertising, that there may be other things that you can do. Uh, what a lot of people in podcasting do is, is they don't look at po the podcast as their product. It is part of the marketing effort for some other service or product that they have. So I'm a lawyer and I go out and I do a podcast because it's a way for people to hear me and go, hey, this guy's a really smart lawyer. I'm going to hire him next time I need a lawyer. Right. Uh, so it's part of their marketing. Uh, you'll see some people make money off events, right? I mean, not so much now because we're in the middle of the pandemic, <laughs> but that's another way that you're starting to see. Um, or other merch, other channels. Uh, some people make money um, off of IP because these podcasts get turned into television shows. Uh, and that's something that we're starting to see more and more. So I, I think the other thing would be to focus on diverse revenue streams right? Uh, and trying to make money in more than one way. How would you consult with someone or what would you say to someone who just heard everything that you said about these different revenue streams? One of the things that you you mentioned was that uh, you can use podcasting as a great marketing effort, which is something that I've seen 
over and over and over, uh, not only with myself, but with my sister, who's a lawyer. And she does a YouTube channel where it's just simple videos. And that is her marketing effort, which helps bring in revenue. But what would you say to someone trying to transition or trying to implement these strategies in to their marketing mix, where should they start without feeling overwhelmed and how can you keep them from feeling overwhelmed? Yeah, one of the things I like to tell people is to do a pilot season when it comes to podcasting. You know, when I launched my first podcast, I thought of it like the Tonight Show or the Today Show, sure. you know, where I was like, okay, I have to do this every week until the day I die. And if I don't, <laughs> I've failed as a podcaster. Right. Uh, and, you know, spoiler alert, that didn't happen. Right. Like, right. <laughs> I'm not still doing that podcast, uh, you know, but I learned a lot and I'm still podcasting. It's just different podcasts that have come and gone along the way. So I like to encourage people to pick a finite number and do a pilot season. Go in and say, hey, I'm going to do 10 episodes and we're going to start with that and I'm going to learn a lot along the way. Mm -hmm. And it gives you sort of a natural stopping point to get to the end of the season and you're either going to go, hey, that was a huge success. I'm going to come back and do season number two or that was a dismal failure. I'm not going to waste any more time doing this. I'm going to do something else instead. In all likelihood, it's going to be somewhere in the middle. And there are going to be some things that you found that have worked and some things that haven't. And so tweak it, you know, change the format, figure out what's working and what's not and make those changes and then come back for season number two. But I think if you can do that, it becomes much more manageable than right. this kind of, oh, I've got to do this from now till the end of time. Right. I, I want to take I want to backtrack just a little bit uh, because I feel as though the biggest struggle that I have with a lot of people who come to my YouTube channel and who reach out to me is that the tech is the one thing that kind of holds them back. It's whether it's the editing software or it's the, uh, you know, it could be the, the equipment that you need to get. And some do it very basic. Others do it more kind of like radio, kind of like how I like to do my stuff. What would you say to someone when it comes down to the tech? Like where should they start? How should they, how should they see, or, or I guess, how should they envision their podcasts to sound? Well, I, I think sound quality matters. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think you want a, a, a podcast that sounds as good as it possibly can. But I also think that this isn't about hitting a home run your first time up at bat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if that's what you're trying to do, you're going to disappoint yourself because it's it's probably not going to happen. You know, we uh, sit here and think, oh, Joe Rogan, overnight success. Well, <laughs> Not really. The guy put in a lot of decades, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I mean, doing stand up comedy, which is real hard to do to get there on the road and, yeah. and do all that stuff. And on television, I mean, that guy paid his dues before he got where he is. Mm -hmm. And so I think everybody's got to start there. The great thing about uh, technology is you don't need to break the bank in order to do it. Yeah. So you can start fairly basic. Uh, I mean, if you want, you can use a service like Anchor, which is now owned by Spotify mm -hmm. and use just your phone to podcast. I would recommend going a little bit above and beyond that. Um, you know, I pick up a, a simple microphone. Uh, I use the ATR 2100 from Audio-Technica mm -hmm. or the ATR 2005. Those are basically the same mic with a slightly different design uh, or a Samson uh, Q2U. Uh, these are mics that run about $75. Uh, in fact, that's what I'm using right now for this, yeah. for this and, and you get decent sound out of it, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's portable. Uh, it's an XLR or USB mic, so you can use it on any, any kind of equipment. Uh, download a, a 
an audio editor. Uh, you can get Audacity for free. Uh, if you're a Mac user, I don't think it works on Windows, but you can get something like Reaper and it's a $75 license. So uh, it doesn't cost a lot of money to do audio editing mm -hmm. and you just got to get in there and, and start and play around with it. And again, I think the goal when you start should be, I want to learn how to do this, not I want to become a millionaire. Right. Yeah. It, you can't just say I'm going to be a millionaire. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's not this is not meant to throw people in radio under the bus, but we aren't millionaires. We're not making money. The people who are higher up aren't millionaires. Not, not very many of us. No. <laughs> <laughs> but what we do learn is we do learn skills over the years. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, one of the things that one of the skills that I really love to do and love to create are, are um, sweepers. People might mm -hmm. think of them as bumpers. And those, I think, are a lot more fun to create. But that took me forever to learn how to do that. And I'm still not as good as some of the guys that I have known growing up into my career. So, uh, you know, those are some of the elements that I like to include. Do you think those elements should be included when it comes down to a podcast? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, an aesthetic choice. I mean, we usually tell people to listen to other podcasts and see what they like. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I come from a radio background, so I tend to like a, a much more kind of polished radio feel. But there's a lot of podcasts that start with just uh, a short bit of music and it's just instrumental and there is no big voiceover guy. There's no Don Pardo who comes in and says, hey, this is the, you know, here's what the podcast Seth Ressler. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you know, and, and, and that works. So I, I would start by listening to the podcast you like and seeing if you can identify the elements in there. You know, why do you like that? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I sometimes hear, you know, young podcasts that come with this big 60 second production thing that's, right. you know, um, one of the things that we found in doing this is how important it is to get into the meat of the podcast right away. Um, because people come in and, uh, it's, it's not like television where people have to flip around and so you might need a theme song to make sure that everybody gets there at nine <laughs> right. o'clock, you know, to sit down to, uh, uh, you know, kind of say, okay, everybody you sit down and gather. Um, with, with a podcast, people have found it and they've downloaded it and they've pressed play. So sure. they're ready to go. And so you need to go. So I think that's something that interesting to bring up because when it comes down to finding that podcast, there are elements that we look at behavioral elements that we do look at when it comes down to finding a podcast that be the show art. It could be the description. It could be the title of the podcast episode itself. What are the most important things? Do you, what is the most important thing? Do you think comes with that behavioral, that behavior when it comes down to searching for a podcast? Yeah. So before they even press play, before they even press play. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a couple of things. I mean, I think the title of the podcast itself really matters. You mean the and, episode? Well, well, both. Okay. Right. So so one of the things that I think, you know, we know that most people hear about podcasts through word of mouth. Mm -hmm. uh, and we know that the second uh, most common way that people find a podcast is by searching. Uh, and, and when we talk about search engine optimization, which is the art of making sure that when people search for stuff, your stuff comes up at the top of the results, uh, we often think about Google. But when it comes to podcasts, it's helpful to think of especially Apple Podcasts uh, and also Spotify, which are the two biggest directories. Um, Apple Podcasts, by far the biggest directory. Mm -hmm. Spotify, the number two with about 10% of, of downloads. Uh, and everything else is a distant distant third. <laughs> right. um, yeah. but but think about apple podcast and think about spotify as search engines mm -hmm. 
And then think about them as not very good search engines because we're all used to Google who their core business is search and Apple podcast, you know, Apple's core business is not search, right? Apple's core business is selling hardware, right? Right. Uh, so, you know, yeah, they're doing search, but they're not doing it at the Google level. Um, so you need to understand how these, uh, these search engines index uh, things and, and surface them. You know, we'll often tell people that, Ideally, you want people to know just by looking at the podcast what it's about. Yeah. Uh, so if I were doing a podcast about pineapple recipes, you know, it might be really clever and arty for me to call my podcast the spiky fruit, but nobody who's looking for pineapple recipes is going into Apple Podcasts and typing in spiky fruit. They're right. typing in pineapple. And so you want to make sure that you come up for that term. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think thinking about your keywords and thinking about what you're coming up with uh, is, is really important. Uh, and so I, I would think about search uh, and I'd be thinking about word of mouth. Yeah. And, and how about that artwork? I mean, that's always something that that trips people up. They go, oh, yep. I'm just going to just going to make a quick piece of art and it's going to be done in Canva. And I mean, which is not I mean, you can actually make yeah. some pretty decent things in Canva. I, again, I think just like the title of the show, I think you want the artwork to do the same thing, which is instantly convey what the podcast is about. Right. I should be able to look at it and I should know in, right. at a glance. And keep in mind that that artwork can be really small on a phone. So make sure it works really small, uh, you know, at, at a really small size. So a lot of words on your artwork is usually not going to work. Um you know, things like that. And so those are all things to consider. Right. And, and I think also like when we think about, you know, before they even press play, I mean, I know for myself what, you know, where this podcast, where I was going to take this podcast, the vision I had with this podcast, because I've been in radio and I make my podcast sound like radio. And so I knew the elements that needed to happen beforehand. And so, um, I would just say that as, you know, we, as we are podcasters, as podcasters come and visit my YouTube channel, they visit this podcast itself, that it's it doesn't happen all at once. It happens over time. Like you learn this stuff over time. Like I didn't learn this stuff overnight. It was just it was just something that I desired to do. And so I think that is some really um, I think that would be some advice to share with a podcaster that might be struggling. I get some people to say, I'm, I've got a, po- a comedy podcast. Well, and then they say, well, how do I how do I sound on that comedy podcast? Well, I can't be a for sure uh, expert on telling you how your podcast will sound from a comedy standpoint. But I can tell you from a programming standpoint what it sounds like. And yeah. maybe it just doesn't work. You know, maybe it just doesn't work. But that's where I think we see with podcasting that it is it is just uh, mushroomed out with so many different formats that there is no one format with podcasting, which Brings me to my next point at podcast movement. I mean, I've known you since I met you at podcast movement in Dallas, I believe it was Dallas Fort Worth and you were just exploring the space. And now you're a speaker at podcast movement, which I think is great because you do bridge that gap with radio and podcasting. And there is a session, especially a session that you did this year at podcast movement. You've done it in the past. It's it's talks about the first 30 seconds of your podcast and, and you, you, you touched on that just a little bit. Can you tell me what that first 30 seconds is about and what it is meant to do for podcast listeners? Can I just point out that when we were in uh, 
you know, Fort Worth for that. Uh, I think that was the second podcast movement ever. Right. Uh, and that was the first one that I went. We were one of like five radio people yeah, that were, we were there. Right. I, and and most of the radio people that were there were not employed currently. <laughs> <laughs> I think you and I were the two people who were actually employed. In right. radio. Um, and now you look and, and you know, iHeart's there and Westwood One's there and the radio yeah. companies have really embraced uh, podcast the podcasting space in a way that's been fairly quick compared to how radio has sometimes embraced other forms of technology. right yeah uh yeah so f- uh for the last hey, before years, before you go though i want to i just yeah. want to let the audience know that we were like one of five people there and we were like one of five people standing in like some restaurant that right. like <laughs> like wallflowers and we're like oh yeah there's Wal- rob walsh over there oh my god right, right. like we're just pointing <laughs> we're like total fanboys like look look there's that podcaster now it's true <laughs> we were total fanboys and now look at you you're big time now seth I, well i, I mean, <laughs> I don't know about that, but I but I've hosted this session for the last couple of years at Podcast Movement called Podcast Makeover. This is actually uh, based on something that that Fred Jacobs of Jacobs Media uh, has done with morning shows uh, for radio in the past, uh, which is essentially an air check session. Uh, and and radio people know what an air check is. It's, sure. it's when they bring a recording of their show into their program director's office and they sit down and they listen to it together. And the programmer critiques the show and says, here's what's working well and here's what's not. And that's how radio people get better. Uh, podcasters don't have that. They don't have it, you know, because there's only so many times you can go to your, you know, your spouse or your mother and say, hey, you listen to my podcast and tell me what you think. And what do they know? You anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so we did this. We would air check uh, podcasts live on stage. Uh, and over years of doing this, the thing that really became apparent to me is how important the first 30 seconds of a podcast are because people make this snap judgment about uh, whether they want to listen to the whole thing or not. Mm -hmm. And so this year with podcast movement becoming a virtual event because of the pandemic, uh, we decided that we were going to have a panel and sort of do it American Idol style or like America's Got Talent where we would just listen to the first 30 seconds of several podcasts right. and critique them and and say, yes, I would want to hear more or nope, I'm done. I'm out. I'll g- give me something else. And so we had Peter Sagel, who is the host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me uh, on NPR. Uh, it was one of our panelists. And we had Shannon Kaysen, who's a, uh, a moth storyteller who's mm-hmm. uh, been in the group, won the Grand Slam uh, in the past. And we had uh, Lisa Orkin, who um, works for the Radio Ranch and is creative director and does this fantastic job uh, creating uh, audio commercials for both podcasts and for radio. Uh, and so they were on my panel and critiqued this. And we learned a lot about what makes the first 30 seconds of a podcast work. Uh, and, and, you know, like I was saying earlier, if you have this bloated, 30 seconds is not a lot of time. No, uh, no, it's not. Well, it can be very long for a listener, but when you're on this side of the mic, it feels like it goes very fast. Right. Uh, and, and so, you know, we played a couple and, and then I would ask the panel, do you know what this podcast is about? And they would not because, uh, a lot of these podcasts begin with sort of idle chit chat about what we had for breakfast that morning. And then minute nine, they get into hey, by the way, on today's show, here's who we're interviewing. Yeah. Uh, and people want that right away. So we saw that the, what you need to do at the top of the podcast is tell the people what the show as a whole is about, who you are uh, as the host, uh, and then what this episode is about. 
Uh, so I used to host a food and travel podcast uh, called Taste Trekkers. And my opening would be, hello, welcome to Taste Trekkers. This is the podcast for foodies who love travel and travelers who love food. Today, we're talking to Joe Blow, who runs Memphis Food Tours. And so if you're a foodie going to Memphis, we're going to tell you all the dishes you need to try, the neighborhoods you need to visit, and the chefs you need to know. Right. And right away, you know either, yep, I'm in, this is my kind of podcast, or nope, this is not for me, and I'm out, and that's fine. For people to have that reaction, uh, but because at least they know, right? <laughs> yeah, on the fence or, or unsure of what the podcast is about. Yeah, you're doing them. You're doing the listener the favor, really. You're saying, "Hey, this is yeah. what the podcast is about." Like, if you don't like it, get out. Like, <laughs> right? And look, not there's no such thing as a podcast for everybody. Right? It doesn't exist. Right? Somebody's not going to like your podcast, and you got to be okay with that. And it's just for uh, really knowing who. And I think the more you dial in, the better. Right. The more you know who your audience is with taste trackers, for example, one of the things that I found uh, was that um, I went to a food blogger conference at one point mm -hmm. and I was like, this is going to be great. Uh, these are all going to be people who listen to my podcast. And as soon as I tell me about it, they're going to go, that's brilliant. And give me your card. I want to go listen to it right now. And what I discovered is that this food blogger conference was essentially a lot of uh, mommy bloggers was were people who had an hour of free time a week because they had young kids at home and their creative outlet was blogging about what they made uh, in their home kitchen, uh, which is great. It's a fantastic thing to do. Uh, and it is not something that you would ever do if you listen to my podcast, because my podcast is not about how to make food at home. It's about going out to eat. And right. so I figured out that there were diners and there were cooks and I was making a podcast for diners and I was at a conference full of cooks. And so it didn't work. Right. And, and so from then on out, I made this rule. Okay. On, you know, on the podcast, we know who we're talking to. Um, we're not talking about nutrition on this podcast. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about diets. We are, there are no recipes in this. That's not what this is about. This is a show about how to eat when you are away from home. So the more, you know, not only what your show is about, but also what it's not about. I think that's, that's really important. Yeah, I think that is a huge thing. Uh, back in the day, I was a high school English teacher in another life. And uh, one of the topics I had to teach was uh, rhetoric. It was the art of persuasive writing. I took that class. Did yeah. you take that class? Yes, I did. You're a pro at it. Then you know exactly what I'm, where I'm going with this. But one of the things that Aristotle would always talk about was um, uh, knowing your audience so that you can appeal to either logic or emotion within the presentation itself. And if you don't understand the audience, the audience doesn't respond back to you. So I think when a podcaster comes in, they think they have an idea of where they're going to take this show, but they might be <laughs> attracting a whole different audience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think you need to figure that out. I mean, in radio, we sometimes talk about uh, creating avatars or mm -hmm. personas, uh, which are stand-ins for the audience and, and we, it helps them envision us uh, and know who we're talking to. I often think, you know, I worked at uh, an alternative rock radio station in Providence, Rhode Island called WBRU and it flipped alternative in the late eighties. And when I worked there later on, they had a big, they'd blown up a, a big newspaper ad that they printed when they flipped. And 
the, you know, the thing about alternatives that you're an alternative to something. So that what they said in this ad is it's not just about the artists we play. It's also about the artists we don't play. And they went on to list ACDC and Led Zeppelin and, and some of these journey things like that. Some of these were big bands yeah. and bands with a lot of fans, but they didn't fit the alternative. Mm -hmm. And if you were a fan of the Ramones or the offspring or, or whatever it might be, you were like, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not listening to that other stuff. And, and so that's for me always crystallized this idea of, not only know what your show is, but know what your show isn't. And it's okay if your show isn't something really big like uh, Recipes or Led Zeppelin. Um, because if you're dialed into that, there will be an audience for that. Yeah. And I think one lesson that you can learn where I think podcasters can get stuck is that they feel they can't pivot the show. Yeah. No. And right. the pivot, I think, is... One of the biggest things that could happen in early in my radio career, I remember I struggled for about six years part time and then I didn't understand basically how to present on the radio. I was very afraid of the microphone and your pivots can happen with a programming change with what you see with your podcast to all the way to a performance. And that's what it was for me. It was a performance that I ended up pivoting my mindset to say, like, well, what do I have to worry about with a microphone and what do I have to worry about the audience? I already know the audience. I can pivot my current presentation skills to fit what I, I know I, I am more comfortable. I'm not so stuffy. And so you can do this with a podcast format, a podcast topic. However, I know there's podcasters out there that have done this in the past. I've run into them and they say that they may have done something that was involved in uh, nutrition and wellness. But then they're like, but I talked more about yoga. Yeah. You know, and so they said, well, I'm just going to focus on the thing that I know the best. So uh, I think that is that is something that's very important that podcasters need to uh, recognize. What value do you see? Uh, I want to switch gears here. What value do you see in local podcasts? You brought up your own podcast as being something that you would do in your area. How? What value do you see? And are they super impactful or should you expect them to be super impactful? You know, local podcasting is is interesting. I mean, there are a handful of people out there who are doing local podcasting. And, um, you know, we're one of them with The Debrief, which is about the Detroit arts and entertainment scene. I've learned a lot doing it. Uh, you know, and I think it's about being dialed into your your audience. I mean, the tough thing about local podcasting is, again, coming back to those revenue metrics. Does it work? Right. Right. Um, and, uh you know, can you hit the numbers that you need? Only about a third of people listen to podcasts out there, mm -hmm. right? I mean, everybody knows how to read a blog. Everybody knows how to click on YouTube and watch a video, but only about a third of people are regularly in the habit of listening to podcasts. So right there, you're taking your potential audience and cutting it by two thirds. And, and that's best case scenario. Like you're the biggest podcast in your city, right? right everybody yeah. listens to you, right? So, um, you know, I, I, I doubt even, you know, the New York Times is hitting is getting a third of everybody yeah you know out there so uh, you've got to kind of figure out how those numbers work and, and how that is I mean David Plotz from uh, Slate former editor in chief of Slate and longtime host of the Slate Political Gab Fest uh, has got a new uh, venture called CityCast which is looking into the idea of local journalism through podcasts mm -hmm. and I think it's going to be a, a real interesting thing to watch and, and see how that does you're starting to see public radio uh, delve into that um, but uh, you know it's, it's unclear uh, less on whether it can be done from a content angle and more about 
whether it's something that can be monetized. Right. It's tougher. Right. I think, and, and you know what's interesting about local podcasts, because uh, we have a podcast here run by the Arizona Republic by AZ Central, and they do a podcast specifically about either it could be about the history of what's going on in Arizona, or they're talking about certain trends. For example, for example, they might say, we're talking about coronavirus in Arizona, and those podcasts are formatted specifically just to be Arizona centric. Yep. Does that impact Arizonans? Well, all Arizonans go and listen to that podcast. Not everyone, but you also have to think that if you are a city centric podcast or a, a region centric podcast that someone from out of state might be moving to yep. your city or your region and they might want to get an idea of what it might be like in that area with a metric standpoint will it make sense i don't know it, it, it's a difficult metric if you ask me because you're so localized but it doesn't mean that you couldn't be part of a local influencer program uh implement your own merchandise things like that um, that i think could probably play into the game i think there are certain factors that broaden an audience and certain factors that narrow an audience mm -hmm. and so i think it's about coming up with the right combination of factors i mean when you think about radio we don't think about this often, but radio is actually niched along two factors. One is geography. You can only hear the radio station within a certain area, within a certain radius of the tower that's transmitting the signal. Uh, and the other is format, right? I mean, you, this is a radio station that plays top 40 music or rock music or hip hop or whatever it is. So because radio is already formatted twice before you even start, Radio personalities then try to broaden the audience by talk, talking about the biggest topics they can find, right. you know, the Super Bowl or what Kim Kardashian just did or, you know, whatever, because now they're trying to make it bigger. Um, there's similar things that come into play with podcasts, right? So you're obviously your topic, what you're talking about narrows it. If you're doing, you know, again, a, a podcast about knitting, that's going to narrow it. But then the geography can actually widen it because we're not just looking for knitters in LA. We're looking for knitters anywhere in the world. Right. So that widens it. One of the factors that will either widen or narrow the audience is the shelf life of the content. Right. Uh, meaning, is it evergreen so that I could tune into this podcast, listen to this podcast five years from now and it would still be relevant? Or is it very ripped from the headlines? I listen to Meet the Press, for example, as a podcast every week. Mm -hmm. And uh, on the one hand, I feel this pressure to listen to it every week because I know that if I don't, <laughs> it'll become out of date. On the other hand, I've never gone back and listened to a six-month-old episode of Meet the Press right. because it's it's not relevant anymore. So if you are going to narrow the, you know, the, the audience of your podcast based on geography, this is only going to apply to people in Arizona. One way that you can then increase the audience is yes, but it's going to apply to people in Arizona for the next 10 years, right? right? Because it's about the history and people are still going to find this relevant 10 years from now. So people don't have to find it within the next week. You know, right. Really, yeah. Uh, in order to, to enjoy it. And so I think that's one of the things that you can do. I'm working on a podcast now, uh, producing a podcast for uh, the Detroit Historical Society uh, about um, the history of Detroit beer. Oh, that's think, cool. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, this project. Mm -hmm. It's been great. Uh, it's going to come out probably early next year. Okay. And, uh, you know, again, this is one of those things where uh, it's going to be much more interesting. You may find it interesting if you're not from Detroit, but it's going to be much more interesting if you're from Detroit or mm -hmm. from Michigan. Uh, but it'll still be relevant five years from now and people can still listen to it and 
gain a lot. From right. It. Yeah. I think that, that exists. I mean, I don't think people realize that, especially content creators and podcasters, that those things still exist. There was a brand that I came across the other day that was promoting. I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, it's these um, these metal, uh, they're metal cast and they you put a block of ice in them and then you put this metal cast on top of it and then it melts the ice. And then when you pull the cast off, it turns the block of ice into a round globe. Oh, that's awesome. And I was like, that is rad. That is really cool. And so I, I, I took the bait and I clicked on it and they were selling it. Now it was a really expensive product, but it was all part of a brand Mm -hmm. that had a podcast and a YouTube channel. And so that was still relevant. So I could go back into the library and I could see what they were talking about, whatever taste tests that they were doing, whatever reviews that they were doing on food or whatever it may have been. And I thought, well, this is actually really cool. They have created this library or compendium of content that you can always go back and review and say like, oh, I, you know, I can see what they're saying about this too. It's too dry of a taste or whatever, but they've also now worked on it so much that they have this whole brand that comes with it, which I think is very cool that they have done. Yeah. I I think that's something that you're seeing more and more of is brands embracing podcasts as part of their marketing efforts. Yeah. Uh, And we were talking about different revenue streams earlier. I think that that's another revenue stream is uh, podcast production for brands that are looking to do that. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I got a couple more questions for you, Seth, because I know uh, you are busy in the pandemic right now, staying at home. Uh, well, first question before we jump into the next question, pants on or off today? Do you have pants uh, on? Uh, pant, pants are on today. Look, <laughs> everything's Jeffrey Tubin. I'm, uh, <laughs> like, uh, I'm not even messing around. <laughs> I agree 100%. Now, um, since... You've been diving into the digital space. What is one thing that you have learned from podcasters that uh, you now try to consult with radio broadcasters? And we'll just answer, we'll ask that question first. So what is one skill that you take from uh, podcasters that helps radio broadcasters? It's, It's interesting because, you know, as radio broadcasters, I think we become so comfortable behind the microphone that we think that we can do that anywhere. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm a radio broadcaster first, right? I've been a radio broadcaster for like like you over 20 years now. Uh, if you need somebody to talk up the ramp of a Linkin Park song and plug the remote broadcast that's happening at the car dealership this weekend and drop in a witty line and hit the post, I'm really good at that. Right. And I'm okay as a podcaster because mm-hmm. I've only been doing that for like nine years. Line forms to the left, brother. I understand. <laughs> right? So, uh, and it's not the same skill set, right? Yeah. I, I think the reason public radio has been so far ahead of commercial radio and podcasting is because you can take an episode of Car Talk and without making any changes to it, put it up on the air or, you know, or fresh air with Terry Gross or whatever. Right. Uh, and it's ready to go. But if you are doing a song, excuse me, doing a show where you are playing six songs an hour and you're saying the call letters a dozen times and you're resetting and repeating, you can't necessarily just lift the audio and drop it into an on-demand form and put it online and right. expect that it's going to work. Right. Right. Maybe if you're, if you're doing an all talk morning show Mm -hmm. uh, that's something that you can do so i I think one of the key things is that they are different mediums Mm -hmm. uh, and that you do have to treat them differently and while i do think there are situations where you can repurpose audio from one place to another Mm -hmm. i think you have to really think about that from the outset 
and go, how are we going to create audio that works both as a radio show and as a podcast? Don't think about how can we take this radio show that's clearly just a radio show and throw it out as a podcast as well. Right. Um, you know, or same thing with video. You know, how do we take this radio, how do we take this morning show and make it work on the radio, on, you know, YouTube Live or Facebook Live and uh, as a podcast? And what do we have to do to each format? Um, you know, this, uh, uh, this beer podcast that I'm working on, one of the things that's been really interesting is that as a radio guy, I'm used to my production being really tight, right? Sure. And just cramming everything together mm -hmm. uh, because we've got five seconds to get, you know, the read in or whatever. Right. Um, and I've actually had to, to tell my editor to go back and space things out and make it breathe more and mm -hmm. put more pauses in because when you listen to it in your earbuds, it's a much more intimate experience and you just kind of need that, uh, for lack of a, a better word, that breathing in the, yeah. in the podcast. A pause of sorts to yep. make it feel like a, like a conversation. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I think that is the hardest part for radio people. I, I want to flip this on its head. What have what can you say that podcasters that you've worked with have learned from radio? What have you taught them? What is one of the best things that they have, or I guess one of the most enlightening things that they have gathered from radio? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people got into podcasting because in some ways they view it as a revolt against radio. You know what I mean? And, and to me, it reminds me of the beginning of Alternative, right? Like, yeah. oh, I'm going to start this punk band to revolt against the corporate rock that's right. coming out. And, and so they think that there are no rules. Yeah. And, you know, and that's not true. Um, that there are principles, again, they may be applied differently, but there are principles that uh, we've learned in radio that work. And, you know, we were talking earlier about the first 30 seconds of a podcast. That's a variation on a principle uh, that we know is resetting in radio. Right. Now it works differently. In radio, you reset. Let's say you're hosting a four-hour morning show, right? And you don't know when people are going to start listening to your uh, to your show. They may get in their car at 6.45 or 7.30 or 8.15. And so what you've got to do is constantly reset and just assume that nobody heard the last break that you did on radio. So you say, hey, if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Lisa. She's a sex expert. And we're talking about right. Blah, 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 right? Uh, there's something similar that has to happen in podcasts, but it's not like if I do a 90-minute, if I have 90-minute episodes, it's not like I have to reintroduce my guest every 15 minutes in the podcast. Right. But I do need to reset at the top of every episode of my podcast yeah. because people could be tuning into my podcast for the first time and maybe they've been with me since episode one mm. or maybe episode 317 is the first time they've ever listened to my podcast. And so you want to make it accessible to everybody. That's resetting. Uh, you know, it's a radio principle. We're just using it a little bit differently in, in podcasting. So I think this idea that there are no rules and we can do whatever we want and, and, no, you, you got to know the rules before you break them and you got to understand right. why they're there and you got to understand why you're changing them for a podcast. That That is great advice. That is perfect advice because that is advice that I have shared with other podcasters, people looking to do this stuff. And and I've all, I have a shirt that actually says know the rules before you can break them. Yeah. And you have to know those rules. Um, you know, these principles that you talk about, like resetting, that was a hard thing for me to catch on to in radio when I was doing a 30 minute, 20 minute interview and having to reset because you didn't know how many people were going to be flipping the dial 
And they're like, well, who's this guy coming on? But in podcasting, their first point of contact might be that pod, that, that episode that shows up in a Facebook feed through a share. And they might not know who you are. So resetting every time is it's a very it's a very important concept because not a lot of podcasters that I know are doing it and they just kind of jump into the content and you don't have an idea of either who you're talking about or who you're talking to. So uh, I love that you brought up that that concept. OK, uh, I know you got to run here, Seth, but I want to ask you a, a, a series of nine questions. I didn't do 10 because nine, you know, is just like everything else on the Internet, like the seven top things. And I'm just going <laughs> to mention some things for you. And you just give me your brief thoughts. Uh, it could be 10 seconds, could be five seconds, it could be whatever you want it to be. But I'm just going to mention them to you and then you just kind of give me your thoughts on them. OK. Okay. All right. So here we go. Uh, number one, your favorite food to taste. Oh, my favorite food to taste. Uh, Time's up. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? For some reason, I thought of fried chicken. I like something that's crispy on the outside. Yeah. But when you get into it, it's it's juicy and, and succulent and just has that contrast in it. Is that something that you do you use a lot of adjectives in your podcast whenever you're describing food? Uh, you know, what's funny is I don't actually do much of the food description. My guests do. OK. Right. And, you know, so I will try to solicit that from them. I mean, for me, the key is often playing dumb and just going, <laughs> I, I don't know what that is, you know, and, right. and I know what toasted ravioli is. I lived in St. Louis. You know, I, I know that it's a thing there. But then when you do that interview, you've got to go, I don't know what toasted ravioli is. What does that look like? What does that taste like? Yeah, right. get that out of it. You know, yeah. I, I totally, well, I play dumb, but it's just a natural thing for me anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks, pal. No, I'm kidding. Uh, number two, um, podcasting to grow a business or podcasting for entertainment only? Podcasting to grow a business or podcasting for entertainment only? Um, I, th I think it depends on what you want to do. You know, I've never been good at, at having hobbies because when I start something, I want to be the best in the world at it. I'm always disappointed because I'm, I'm there's always somebody better than me. <laughs> right. And that's true. That's a very humble way of looking at it. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm frustrated that I'm not the Elon Musk of podcasting. Uh, <laughs> in my eyes, Seth, you are, my friend. <laughs> I, I, I think there can be podcasts for, for entertainment only. And I think there's two ways of thinking about it. Is it, is it entertaining for the person making it? Uh, or is it entertaining for the audience? And, mm. and ideally, it should be both. Um, but I would start because it's something that you want to do. I would not start this because you think this is a way to get rich. Sure. I would start this because you love audio. Uh, and you should be starting a podcast because you listen to podcasts. Stephen King has this thing where he talks about you can't be a writer if you don't read. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, you, you can't be a podcaster if you don't listen to podcasts. Right. Listen to production. Listen to content. Listen to formulations of how they came to a conclusion or a question. I yeah. think that's important. Uh, number three, favorite podcast right now. You know, uh, this one gets I, me I, too all the time. So <laughs> I, I, I will say that, you know, there have been periods where I'll listen to a podcast for a while and then I'll fall off. You know, Mark Maron was one of the podcasters that got me into podcasting. Mm -hmm. I listened to Mark Maron interview Conan O'Brien and I was like, Oh my God, Conan O'Brien has the same problems that I have. <laughs> <laughs> not really true um uh but but then i'll fall off right because conan o'brien because uh, mark maron's podcast is evergreen so i can sit there and listen to a dozen episodes and then go away for a couple months and then come back right uh, the one that i have listened to almost every week for 15 years is slate's political gab fest with okay. uh, 
John Dickerson, who's now on 60 Minutes, and Emily Bazelon, who's with, uh, I think it's New York Times Magazine, and uh, uh, David Plotz. And um, I, it's, it's a radio morning zoo format. Like, it's the format that we always know two guys and a girl with a three, you know, three person round table discussion, but they talk about politics mm-hmm. and they break down what's really happening. And uh, it's just, it's been well done forever and it's been consistent forever. And that's the one that I, I listen to every week. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, number four, preferred consumption app for podcasts. So I use Pocket Casts um, because I'm on an Android. I'm on a, a Galaxy Samsung, and so I don't have Apple Podcasts mm-hmm. uh, at my disposal. I switched to it a number of years ago because I was finding that I would start a podcast on my iPad, and then I would get in the car and I'd need it on my phone. And at the time, Pocket Casts had that ability, and what I, whatever I was using prior to that did not. Um, and so that's uh, a switch to that. I will say, since the pandemic has started. Uh, and I don't leave my house very often. I am pulling up podcasts more and more on Alexa. Oh, okay. And that that has increased quite a bit. Uh, I have an Alexa in my kitchen, and when I'm when I'm making food, I like to listen to something. So. Gotcha. Okay. That I I I understand that because I do the same thing. I have a Google Home, and now that Google Homes and and Nests how now have that ability to. Yeah listen to podcasts. In fact, I actually pull them up on my phone and then I stream them to the nest wherever I'm, I'm whatever I'm cooking my, in my little, you know, 900 square foot place. I'm like, play it in the living room. And it's like five <laughs> feet away, you know? <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, next one, uh, less equipment with more power or more equipment with less power. When you, we say power, are we talking electricity or are we just saying like power? Like, uh, uh let's say with more impact. Okay, less equipment. Um, You know, for the longest time, I was podcasting with uh, a Zoom H5 recorder and a couple of these ATR 2100 mics, Mm -hmm. uh, which is about $400 worth of gear. Uh, and, and that's, that's the setup that I take to CES when there's a CES to go to, to do that podcast with, that I take to the worldwide radio summit, uh, that I, um, used to do for a lot of things. I mean, I started podcasting, uh, with that or with, um, Skype. I was doing interviews over Skype yeah. and I can do it over zoom. So I don't think you need to spend a ton of money to, to do this. I mean, I think you need to develop your skills. I think there's a ton of time that goes into it, but I I don't think huge equipment, you know, like $10,000 worth of equipment is just not, No, you need, you need production values, uh, but you don't need world-class production values. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, number eight hosting provider. Uh, I'm going to get in trouble here. (laughs) Well, I mean, if if it's going to make, get you in trouble, but I mean, what would you say the top three would be for you? Well, so, so here's the thing. Um, I, you know, we mentioned Rob Walsh from Libsyn. Mm -hmm. I have used Libsyn from the, from the beginning. Uh, the book that got me into podcasting was one that Rob Walsh, uh, wrote. Uh, the introduction was written by John Edwards. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know this story that, the. uh, 
Rob Walsh was approached by John Edwards during the presidential campaign to, uh, to produce a podcast. And then like a month later, Obama came to him and, and said, hey, <laughs> I didn't podcast. know that. <laughs> yeah, he had to turn Obama down <laughs> because he'd already said yes to Jonathan Edwards. And so Jonathan <laughs> Edwards wrote the, uh, the intro to the book. And this is so long ago, Jonathan Edwards was still thought of as a good guy. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so long ago. This was. So I read that book and got into it. And so I started using Libsyn early on. Um, and have not really changed because I, I just knew the interface. Mm -hmm. There are uh, a ton of people that I that I really respect. Todd Cochran from Blueberry, who's been very involved in the podcasting space. Very they, involved. They do great stuff over at Blueberry. Uh, you know, and, and frankly, I like the people who show up and and get involved. Yeah. Um, uh, Rob, Rob Greenlee, who is now with Libsyn, but has been with Spreaker and other places over the years, is another mm. guy. You know, um, you know this. You go out to podcast movement or one of these conferences, and when there's two Robs and a Todd on the on a panel, that's the uh, that's the three wise men of of podcasting. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. Yeah, I've started using Omni Studio for some stuff, mm -hmm. which was uh, originally designed by radio broadcasters out of Australia. So mm -hmm. for radio people, there's some some tools there that, that uh, make it nice and easy. Um, so, yeah, there's, yeah. The, I, I think it's really about knowing what features you want uh, and then going and looking for those features. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of ways to go right. Yeah, there's that's a that's great advice because I I in the past say five to six months have been asked, you know, mm -hmm. what, what's the best hosting provider? And I I have to say, what are you looking for? Yeah, you know, it yeah. really kind of depends. You're gonna have to find the platform that works for you. There is no one size fits all. Back in the day, yeah. there was Libsyn, and and the ones that I only knew of was Libsyn. I remember when Libsyn was just a teeny little website. That's all it was. And then Blueberry came in and then I went to the first podcast movement and there were just these few little hosting providers. And now, I mean, I, I don't even, I can't even keep track of all of them. You know, there's so many, but they all offer something a little bit different. So, uh, see, great answer. I mean, you're, you're not going to get in trouble. I don't think you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> and last question, Joe Rogan to Spotify. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I look, I mean, it's amazing what Joe Rogan has, has done. I, I heard somebody from Spotify say the other day that, uh, you know, Joe Rogan is is arguably the biggest, uh, you know, audio personality out there, uh, uh, bigger than even Howard Stern at this point. I think right. that may be the case. I think I think we're going to look back at this moment in history and we're going to view Joe Rogan going to Spotify the same way that we now view Howard Stern going to satellite radio. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, like you, I worked in rock radio and there were a ton of rock radio stations all over the country that were really anchored by Howard Stern. Uh, and when he left, it, it hurt rock radio a lot. And, and radio was saying this was a dumb move for Stern at the time. A lot of smart people I mean, in the radio industry. I raised my hand on that one. You know, right. Said, said, oh, this is this is going to be a disaster for Howard. And I don't think it was a disaster for Howard. Oh, and I yeah. don't think it was a disaster for satellite radio either. I think it's been great for both. It's mm. been very mutually beneficial. Uh, I think that's probably going to be true uh, in the long run for Spotify as as well. I think that this is going to be, uh, you know, they, they, they caught a big whale there. And I, I think there's a sizable investment there. Um, and we're going to see if it pans out. But I think there's a good shot that it might. Yeah, I mean. I agree with that just because when I heard the news and the guy at the radio station told me that Rogan moved to Spotify, his excitement, I can't even describe his excitement in a certain number of adjectives. He was so excited that this was going to be a thing. 
And when he he said that, I was like, this, this is huge for Spotify. This is a big thing for Spotify because now it opens up the doors for so many other content creators. Now we have Michelle Obama, I believe, is on Spotify now doing that stuff. Well, I, I think the other analogy besides Howard Stern going to satellite radio uh, is this is going to be a lot like Netflix creating its own content. Yeah. Right. Whereas Netflix is a company that started distributing other people's content. Mm. Uh, and then at some point they started making their own and, you know, things like Stranger Things or Orange is the New Black uh, and, and really moved the needle. And frankly, again, it comes down to those revenue metrics. You know, you can make more money when you own the content than when you're distributing somebody else's content. You got to pay royalties or licensing fees or whatever on it. Uh, you know, I think Spotify, Spotify has really stepped up as a player in this space. You know, in a way that, uh, you know, for the longest time, Apple was number one and there was no number two. And and Spotify stepped in and said, we're really going to dedicate ourselves to the space and invest in the space. And they really have. They've put their money where their mouth is. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I think you're going to start to see more and more great content come out of there. Great. Seth Ressler of Jacobs Media, the digital dot connector. Thank you so much for sitting down with me for a sizable chunk of time in your day. I didn't. Oh, no problem. <laughs> I didn't uh, expect for an hour, but it was such a great conversation that I appreciate your thoughts and uh, musings about uh, podcasting and, of course, helping out uh, those who will be listening to this podcast. Uh, is there a way or do you invite podcasters outside of the radio space to reach out to you and look for advice, help, whatever. I mean, how can, yeah, I mean, I love talking about podcasting. So mm -hmm. by all means, feel free to email me. I'm Seth S E T H at jacobsmedia.com. Uh, you know, I've got a blog there where once a week I sit down and I write about digital topics and, and it's geared towards radio broadcasters, but I think there's a lot that, uh, podcasters could, could find useful in there as well. Um, but I, I love talking about podcasting. So yeah, you know, don't be shy. Okay. Well, can we go another four hours? No, I'm kidding. I'm sure. just kidding. <laughs> you're like, you're at home anyway, man. Pants right. on. All you need to do is go five steps to the, the kitchen and get lunch. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So. Seth, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Good to talk to you. All right. You too. Therapist. To a lot of you, coffee is the nectar of the morning wake-up gods, right? I totally love that feeling, just like you, of being awake, especially as I get older. Adulting tends to get a little bit harder. It wasn't until I made a visit to the doctor a few years back and I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism and I had to give up all of the caffeine in my life, including coffee. You see, even though caffeine can wake you up and make you feel alive for some part of the morning, it also has side effects like the jitters, anxiety, and you'll get terrible sleep, all of the things that I was experiencing. That's when I discovered mud water. Mud water is a coffee replacement with one-seventh the caffeine of coffee that actually gives me energy, focus, and immunity without jitters, crashes, or a downside. So what's in it? Mudwater is a mixture of herbs, spices, and magic mushrooms that dial in on your immunity, boost your clarity, creativity, and your mood. I can't tell you how much of a difference it has made in my life in the last few months. So lose the jitters and find more focus with Mudwater. Get your Mudwater starter kit today at thepodcasttherapist.com slash mudwater. That's thepodcasttherapist.com slash M-U-D-W-T-R to learn more and get your first can and frother today. Unnecessary explanations. Podcast therapist. Unnecessary explanations.
I just want to remind you that today's uh, interview with Seth Ressler was created using StreamYard. In fact, uh, as we were recording, I forgot to hit the record button on StreamYard and get the uh, whole interview on StreamYard. I actually had a backup going on over on uh, Adobe Audition. But you can use StreamYard for not only your video podcast, but also... Uh, repurpose them as audio podcasts, create seamless recordings of your podcast interviews, or stream them live to multiple platforms like Facebook, YouTube, Twitch. You can do LinkedIn, also Periscope, uh, or just record them. That's all you can, you know, that's all you want to do and just record them and not stream them. That's another way that you can do it. So if you want to learn more about StreamYard, go to thepodcasttherapist.com slash StreamYard to learn more. So I figured today in unnecessary explanations, we would answer a couple of questions that came off my uh, YouTube channel, and we go ahead and get to some of those questions uh, to hopefully help not only you, but uh, also some other people who were on uh, YouTube as well that might be viewing some of my videos. So if you have not checked out my uh, YouTube channel, uh, I would just re- recommend you go o- over into YouTube and you just type in Shannon Hernandez, and you should be you should be able to see a lot of videos pop up uh, in the search function right there and see my, uh, my videos uh, to help you with podcasting. Uh, today's first question is going to come to us from Anne. Uh, I might be I might be mispronouncing her name. I apologize if I mispronounce your name or butcher your name, Anne. But it's Anne Benedict Hanote, I think is how you say your name. And she asked a question on one of my videos called uh, Record a Higher Quality Podcast Using Zoom. Uh, she asks, this might sound like a stupid newbie question, but I can't find the answer on the internet. I would like to record video for my podcast, but still have great audio. I was thinking of recording on Audacity locally on both sides plus recording Zoom video. Is this any good? Uh, things to pay attention to that I need to look out for? Thank you so much. So the question to the, the answer to this question is actually, uh, for me, it's very simple, but what I would recommend that you do is you head on over to uh, YouTube and you look up that video and you talk about, it, you watch the video based on the, the setup that I have. I have two different videos that I talk about um, from time to time, whenever people are trying to set up uh, great quality audio for their podcast using Zoom. All right. So in this circumstance, what Anne is looking for, she's looking gr- for great audio quality locally. She's looking for, I think that like that crisp, crisp sound. Now, let's kind of break this down into a couple of different pieces as far as the answer is concerned. Okay. So let's say, for instance, today we are using Seth's interview that we have done. And I had mentioned that I used StreamYard. Now you can use StreamYard, you can use Zoom, you can use Skype, you can use just about any one of these platforms to get the quality audio on your end. So on my end as the host, I wanted to make sure that I had quality audio. And so the secret behind this is having a mixing board. Um, that's why I always promote the Yamaha MG10XU. You can certainly go a little bit uh, more robust if you're looking to get into something that's more like the uh, Rode Procaster. That will you know, definitely do the job itself. But I would say those are the two standards that you would be using and that's where you would need to go to that YouTube video and figure out, or not figure out, but you would need to follow my setup. That is how to set up the mixing board to your Zoom, all right? Now I do know that on the Yamaha MG10XU, it's a lot more simple when it comes down to connecting Zoom to your mixing board to your computer so you can actually capture that uh, quality audio going, you know, from the microphone into your Zoom. But what I recommend and what I would tell you, Ann, is I would say that if you're going to do this setup that you not only... uh, Use a mixing board, but you're recording everything in Adobe Audition. As I mentioned in this episode, that I ended up recording 
uh, via StreamYard, but I forgot to hit record. And I had a backup recording going on with Adobe Audition. That was actually the audio that I was going to use. Uh, there was a few mistakes within this this audio recording uh, for this particular episode because Seth was using actually an ATR2100 microphone and I told him that the microphone sounded great, but actually we were capturing the audio from his um, his earbuds that he was ca- he was using. So I didn't get the audio that I want I was looking for. So the whole point of this being is that like if you're going to want to get a really great audio you need to make sure that your not only your host is using a great microphone you can try and prep them ahead of time for that but you also want to be able to do your interview via streamyard zoom skype you know whatever you know whereby whatever it may be and you want to just basically have that audio running through your mixing board and into Adobe Audition, and that's how you're going to capture that quality audio. So if you have questions about that, please feel free to reach out to me uh, by going to the podcasttherapist.com slash podcast. You should be able to see the contact me section and leave voicemails down there if you are further confused about this, all right? So let's go ahead and go on over to the next question, and I'm actually on my YouTube right now, and I'm gonna scroll up and look for uh, another question that I had had. Oh, yeah, there was one here from Red Blue Talk. And he said, why are you now recommending Buzzsprout these days rather than Libsyn or Blueberry, you know, the old faithfuls? So there's a couple of reasons why uh, I am now using Buzzsprout. And it doesn't mean that I wouldn't say to go, you know, not use Buzzsprout, but I would also say, you know, it's you don't have to use Libsyn or you can use Libsyn or Blueberry. It really just depends on how much you want your workflow to be a little more easy down the line. So in this particular instance, um, my answer to uh, Red Blue Talk was um, that, you know, Buzzsprout just makes it super easy to set up your podcast. Uh, They streamline most of the process for those who are looking to start a podcast for the first time. But this can also go the same way with people who are looking to switch podcast hosts. Maybe you are someone who is on Anchor and you're not satisfied with Anchor's service because, you know, it is a free platform and they're not going to give you all the benefits that you're looking for. I think one of the big things about podcast hosting is the customer service. It is the, um, you know, is the help that you're getting from someone. And Buzzsprout has top-notch customer service. Now, it doesn't mean that Libsyn or Blueberry doesn't have that because they do actually. They have really great customer service when it comes down to, um, you know, people reaching out. But when it comes down to ease of process and using a platform, I would say that honestly, that I would go with Buzzsprout because they walk you through every step of the way of not only you know starting your podcast or possibly uh, moving your podcast from one hosting platform to another. So that's why I am promoting Buzzsprout these days. They also have a really great referral program with Libsyn. I don't. I know they don't. I know they have a referral program, but you need to have a certain amount of downloads. You need to have a certain amount of people downloading your podcast in order to get that referral program. You can get that referral program on Buzzsprout where uh, you can refer your link uh, to getting into Buzzsprout for other people and you would and you actually get as the uh, person who has purchased hosting you actually get a $20 gift card to Amazon and so does the person who signed up so uh, that's just one of the way one of the reasons why I like to use Buzzsprout the other reasons would be that you know uh, there are monetization opportunities on Buzzsprout they do give you the opportunity to further promote other uh, companies who are out there for monetization so you can use them as spots inside of your podcast itself. So 
that's just a couple of the reasons that you have there. I just think it's a cleaner platform, quite honestly. If you go over to the podcasttherapist.com, you can see how clean that 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 uh, player is. Excuse me. So it would be probably worth it for you to at least give it a try, give it a, a whirl, go on their free plan and uh, check it out. I think you can go on over to, Buzz, I'm sorry, you can go on over to the podcasttherapist.com slash get buzzsprout and you should be able to, um, you know, start a free trial and get started from there. And then if you decide that you want to go ahead and uh, purchase buzzsprout, you can jump into that, um, you know, into the, the hosting platform using that link, the podcasttherapist.com slash uh, get Buzzsprout. So let's answer another question. Uh, let's answer a another. Let's answer a fun question. So someone commented on another video of mine uh, called "Record a Podcast Using Zoom." A lot of people are interested in the Zoom one, and uh, this is from Merge Music and Film. And he said, um, "Wait, no, this was not it. This wasn't it. I'm sorry. I was I was gonna read another one. No, it was from another one from Red Blue Talk. It was the same person, but he asked a different question. And it was on my recent video that I posted with last week's episode with Carmen Reed. He said, what happened to your hard rocker hair? <clears throat> you got to talk about that. Happy New Year. Your work has really helped me um, and not just the free stuff. So uh, thank you so much, Red Blue, Blue Talk. I'll answer this question too. Uh, so the video was about why you should invest more into a podcast, but uh, he was Clearly more concerned, thought that I had cut my hair. Didn't cut my hair. I just put it up in a man bun and put it in a hat. I've just been enjoying uh, wearing hats as of recently. So that's that's really the reason, uh, you know, and uh, a lot of my videos you see me wearing uh, a lot of branded shirts, you know, so uh, I've actually been trying to get away from wearing branded shirts because uh, it is kind of a distraction away from what I'm trying to really uh, help podcasters learn from is, you know, I want them to learn from the content. So, uh, you know, I would say if there's advice for anyone who is trying to start a podcast and uh, wants to put some of their videos up online, I would recommend that you don't have branding on any of your clothing just because it takes away from the message that you're trying to share. Uh, can I do anything about those previous videos that I have done over the last couple of years? Not really, but the content is probably the thing that really, um, that really makes the difference because uh, people are really looking for the answers to their questions. So that's what I would also recommend to you as a podcaster. If you're teaching someone something, make sure you're making that content very valuable and teaching someone how you have stumbled across the answer for yourself. And that probably will be one of the best things that you can do for your audience. So uh, that's what I would recommend that you do. Okay, so let's answer one more question from Kate Lavender. She answers, or she asked a question on my video, list your podcast in directories easily, how to launch your podcast in 2021. And her question was, uh, is there a way to upload to each directory as a way to save on hosting fees? So great question. Thank you for asking this, Kate. And so the answer to this is no. You cannot individually upload files to Apple Podcast or Spotify or Stitcher or TuneIn Radio. Uh, each directory pulls from an RSS feed. That's how this works, okay? So we are basically uh, storing all of our files. Let's just put it this, let's, let's give you an example. We're basically storing all our files on a hard drive. And anytime we wanna access that hard drive, we have to go and we click on one particular file and that's how we access that file. That's basically what hosting is. But with hosting, you're given a unique address, an RSS feed, and that RSS feed ends up pointing back to all the 
uh, uh, the directories in which you want to be listed in. This goes back to my first uh, answer about that question about uh, Buzzsprout. Why do I talk about Buzzsprout so much? Well, because it, Buzzsprout makes it easy to be listed in all the directories, like m most of the directories that are out there. I mean, if you watch that video where I talk about listing your podcast and directories easily, it shows you how Buzzsprout has streamlined that process so simply for you. So uh, I would recommend that you use uh, Buzzsprout for that. Um, doesn't mean that you can't use Lipson. Like I said, I'll go back to that uh, answer again. Lipson just makes it a little more, uh, it's just not as user friendly. Let's put it that way. It's not as user friendly to put all your all, you put your podcast in all these platforms because you have to go hunting them out. Buzzsprout already does the work for you on that. And let's do one more question, actually. Um, actually, this is more, I think, of a concern. Uh, it was based on one of my older videos way back in the day called Getting Over the Sound of Your Own Voice. And it was from Nicole Monique. And she says, thanks for sharing this video. How do you handle when your mind is moving faster than words coming out. I struggle with that, and I think it affects my voice quality. I'm sure it's nerves, if that makes sense. So this is a great question, Nicole, and I don't think that, um, you know, I don't I don't think it's, a, it's anything that I think someone hasn't thought of in the past when it comes down to doing a podcast. I think one of the things when, when it comes down to presenting your voice and thinking your thoughts out ahead of time is that you have to pace yourself. I'm not the best at this, I think. Uh, you know, I've been doing radio for 20 years, but I have gotten a handle and I've been able to formulate the best thoughts possible uh, to create content, basically. So I guess my advice to you would be is that when you ask the question, how do you handle your mind um, is moving faster than words are coming out? That's whenever I think you should need to be pacing your verbal words whenever you are speaking into the microphone. This will really help you with cutting back on filler words. I'm not the best at this. Uh, I tend to really go fast, 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 and you'll hear a lot of filler words. But I think whenever you are very intentional with what you want to say and you think about things ahead of time, you have to pace yourself. And pacing yourself will help you come up and think of new things to say. It also helps that if you write down bullet points onto a piece of paper, I'm not talking about scripts, I'm just talking about bullet points, things that you can talk about. You bullet point things out and then you'll be able to elaborate on them uh, as best as you can. When you start reading off of a script, then it just sounds like you're reading directly off of a script and it doesn't sound as authentic as I think you can sound. So just practice. It's going to take a little bit of practice, Nicole. Um, it's nothing that anyone hasn't encountered before, but you just have to practice at it. And I think that's where uh, the true, uh, I guess, I, I think that's where you will unlock your true talent and that's where you will get over the nerves and you'll discover that... Um, you know, your voice is actually just very normal. It's weird to you, but it's actually very normal to a lot of other people. And you have to come to terms with that and believe that your voice and the content that you're creating does make an impact on other people. And to not worry about your own voice because other to not worry about your own voice because other people don't care. They care about you and they care about what you have to say. So we're going to leave it right there uh, with today's Unnecessary Explanations Q&A. If you have a question that you want to ask me, uh, go ahead and leave me a, a question by going on over to thepodcasttherapist.com. Uh, you can jump on over there, check out the Contact Me section page right there, and um, 
right there you can see that there is a voicemail section you can leave a voicemail or if you want to leave an email or yeah if you wanted to leave an email you could do that but you can always uh, ask questions also on my youtube channel i am also you know i've got lots of questions here that are harvested on youtube that i can answer over here into this audio podcast that can help people equally as much so until then i really appreciate you guys tuning in don't forget to go on over to apple Podcasts if you are on that platform and that's how you're listening to this podcast and leave a rating and a review for this particular podcast i would really appreciate it and until next time i will talk to you guys next week and let's get out there and start making some great podcast. Take care. The Podcast Therapist. Mixdown Media Productions.